You're listening to the Sermon Podcast from House for All Sinners and Saints. We are an Evangelical Lutheran Church in America congregation in Denver, Colorado, and you can find out more about us at www.houseforall.org. Know that grace, peace, mercy, and hope are yours in abundance from the triune God. Amen. So there's, uh, there's a phrase in my household that a while back I tried to retire, um, but I'm afraid that it will be making a comeback in the very near future by a certain tenacious two-year-old. Early on in our relationship, I noticed that my beloved Laura used three little words quite frequently. And no, I'm not talking about her telling me how much she loved me. The three little words she liked to use were usually employed when I would beat her at a board game like Scrabble, or when I was right about something and she was wrong, something that still happens quite frequently today. (laughs) Don't worry, I vetted all of this with her beforehand. Those three little words she loved so much, that's not fair. I was thinking about this week and, and anticipating Harper learning the, this phrase and how many times I'm going to hear that the rest of my life. And I got to thinking about how this protest, this objecting to the, some, the outcome of some event, actually originates from sort of an egocentric worldview, one that little kiddos can't help but possess. As one writer says, we tend to assess fairness as the examples from childhood demonstrate in terms of what seems fair not only to us, but also for us. We tend to measure fairness, that is, in terms of our own wants, needs, hopes, expectations, often with little or at least secondary regard for the wants and needs of others. And unfortunately, This doesn't end with childhood. It'd be one thing if our shouts of it's not fair did end when we were little, but I imagine we've probably all at one time or another deployed these words of protest when things haven't gone our way, even in adulthood. Whether it be something as trivial as losing at a board game or as serious as the loss of a loved one, Sometimes life really isn't fair at all. The difference, it would seem to me, is that with the gift of age and the benefit of experience, adults have the tools at their disposal to get beyond a self-centered worldview and judge life events through a broader lens. With perspective and context, we develop a sense of not only fairness, but rather a more acute sense of what justice is. And hopefully with that perspective of justice, it goes beyond the narrow conceptions of fairness that characterize our childhood and adolescence. The ability to empathize and sympathize with others helps to hone an awareness of the greater whole 
and to understand ourselves as part of something much bigger than the bodies we inhabit and the lives we live. With that realization, then, our decisions are made in the context of how they will affect our neighbors, those neighbors who live right next door, those who live on the other side of the world, and even those neighbors that are yet to have been born. One could have hoped that with that sort of sense we could get a consensus and final agreement on perhaps things like the causes of climate change and the steps necessary to be taken to remedy the problem. But alas, we as humanity lack something of maturity. We lack the ability perhaps to think of ourselves, to think of others before ourselves. And so while we might like to think of ourselves as highly evolved, outwardly focused, justice-seeking, moral people, the fact remains that we probably all struggle to escape the self-centeredness that defines our early existence. I couldn't believe the amount of outrage and passionate online conversations that went on around the Ray Rice domestic violence controversy over the last couple weeks. And unfortunately, I'm not talking about the very real problem of men and women, professional athletes or not, who abuse their spouses, their partners, and children. The outrage I'm actually talking about are the fits that fantasy football players around the country threw when the news of Ray Rice's suspension hit the wires and they had already drafted him. It was so unfair that their, let me emphasize, fantasy football teams would be affected by the NFL's decision to not let a wife beater play football. You see, that's the thing about being a human being. Despite our best efforts and even our best intentions, sometimes our primordial brain has the ability to hijack us and affect our decision-making. Perhaps the intent of Jesus' parable from today's Gospel reading is to perform a mental and spiritual reboot and to help us once again see the error in our ways. This story is the second of three teachings that Jesus lays down to his followers about their perceptions being turned on their head, and the first being last, and the last being first. You see, even after following Jesus around for a while, and seeing the ways in which he was pouring himself out for others with his words and his deeds, there was still wrangling among his disciples for position and rank and all sorts of other good stuff. So Jesus tells a story of a landowner who seemingly spends all day going back and forth to the marketplace, hiring workers for his vineyard. He makes a deal with the first workers that he hires for the normal daily wage, which I'll just say was pretty much just enough to keep them in food and shelter so they could come and show up the next day and work another 12-hour shift. As the hours go by, more and more workers are hired, and at the end of the day, everyone lines up to get paid. Those who had arrived to the workplace last were first in line. And anticipation and excitement starts to grow in that line as the First hired laborers see that those who had worked only a couple hours were getting the daily wage. 
Surely, they said to themselves, we'll be getting much more because we worked all day long. But when their time comes, they receive what they had agreed to. Now, let's just pause right now and be honest with ourselves. How pissed would all of us have been if we had been in the back of that line, right? And how broke would the the landowner would be in the next day when nobody was there to work for him until 5 o'clock in the afternoon. (laughs) The point of the parable, it would seem, is that we can't and shouldn't be envious of the generosity that others experience, especially when it comes to the grace of God. We shouldn't complain and moan about the way others experience God's love and presence. But I think the parable goes beyond that and actually foreshadows the ultimate act of God's grace in the world. This story is really about how God's love is anarchy. It's about how God's love throws out all the rules and stomps on our expectations and most of the time shatters our worldviews. It sets us up to experience the ultimate triumph of love over fairness at the cross with fresh eyes and fresh hearts. And it invites us to reconsider the rules that we set up for ourselves and for others to experience God's love. Amy reminded us last week that our God isn't some accountant meting out grace, love, and forgiveness according to what we have done or what we haven't done or how long we've served God. Instead, God's reckless heart discards any sort of accounting system in favor of overwhelming generosity that knows no bounds. So tonight, if you've ever asked yourself whether or not it's fair that God forgives you for some sin you've committed, the answer is probably no, it's not fair. But it is what God has offered you. If you've ever doubted whether or not you're good enough to be claimed as one of God's own, The truth is that none of us are good enough, but we're God's children anyway. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God for that love. That love that conquers any of our notions of fairness. Thanks be to God for a love that invites us to participate in something bigger than ourselves. Thanks be to God for God's love that enters into the spaces between us and invites us to be God's community. Amen. If these sermons are meaningful for you, we invite you to support the congregation, and you can do that at houseforall.org. There's a PayPal button there. Also, we'd love for you to come and join us for liturgy. We meet at 4 o'clock and 6 o'clock on Sundays at 2201 Dexter in Denver.